Good morning, everybody. Heidi is um, taking the week off. I talked to her this morning. She and Bob are off um, having fun together, and um, so that's always nice, isn't it? So I'm glad she gets the opportunity to do that, and because I love Heidi and I love to hear her speak, when she asked me to fill in, I'm like, okay, if you promise you will never quit, <laughs> and I'll just do it every now and then, then we'll That'll be okay. I, I can suffer through that. So, um, I'm Connie Presley, for those of you who don't know me, and um, my husband is Clint, pastor of the church, and uh, he is the upfront one, and I am the behind-the-scenes one. So it, most of you know that this is not uh, something I aspire to do. So, <laughs> but anyway, I can te- I do love the Bible. And I love to read the Bible and study the Bible. And um, one thing, I was talking with Clint about it. And, you know, Heidi, she thinks so, it seems to me like she thinks so logically. And she has this, you know, these thoughts. And I know she works hard at it, but she can come to it eventually. I, I never come to those kinds of things. I look at it and look at it and look at it and look at it and look at it. And I see all these great things, but they don't come out in these neat little, you know, fill in the blank, you know. And so Clint was like, yeah, you're always traveling, never arriving. I said, (laughs) basically, that's it. (laughs) But anyway, today we're going to look at um, our lesson in Esther and, um, you know, just a brief overview. Uh, We've seen Esther become queen and uh, through uh, Mordecai kind of helps her and, and coaches her along as she does that and then we have Haman in the picture who gets very he goes to the king and he gets very angry at Mordecai because Mordecai won't bow down to him and goes to the king and gets this edict made that all the Jews are going to be killed and so that's kind of where we picked up and Heidi went over some of this last week but we're going to start again with uh, verse 4 of uh, chapter 4 of Esther and just kind of read through some of this and get to the lesson that we had for today. Um, So we'll begin in chapter 4 with verse 1. When Mordecai learned that all all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry, and he went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's um, command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. And when Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, that he would not um, but he would not accept them. So remember Heidi told us that probably Esther didn't know what was going on. She didn't know why Mordecai was in um, sackcloth and ashes and um, had probably not was not aware of the edict that had been made about the Jews. So she sends him clothes. One of the commentaries suggested that she maybe thought that he had gone through some kind of financial disaster or something that had caused him to lose everything and so she sent him clothes because she thought you know he's lost everything and he's in great distress but um, that's um, it doesn't say that so we can't know that for sure but um, for some reason she sends him clothes he will not accept them and then verse 5 
Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathach went to Mordecai in the open square in the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Then Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said, then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and all the people of the king's province, provinces know that if any man or woman goes before the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except for the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king for these 30 days. Remember, we talked about that some last week, um, Heidi did, that it had been 30 days since she had been called in um, to the king. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And when Mordecai told, uh, then, Mo Mo then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than, any, than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. This is where we picked up this week in our lesson. Then, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Um, now, this is a little unusual, the three days. Um, normally, like um, in the Old Testament, there was one day of fasting that was, that was called for by the Jews, and that was the Day of Atonement. And they would start fasting at sunrise, and they would fast until sunset. And so it uh, was normally a one-day thing. And so... For, to do it for three days is a little unusual, and it's, um, it shows the seriousness of what's going on. And it doesn't say here in the scripture that, there's, that she wants them to pray. It just says she wants them to fast. But it's assumed prayer because that's what fasting is, that you go without food and you spend that time in prayer. And so it's, um, we can assume that she's wanting them to pray for her before she goes before the king that he won't kill her and that um, she will find favor. And so um, he, they asked for, she asked for him to pay, pray for three days, night and day. I and my young women also will fast, as you do, and then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? 
it shall be given to you even to half of my kingdom. Now, the things, the commentaries that I read said that this was not an actual promise. Like, if she had said to him, I'll take half the kingdom, he, he would not have given her half the kingdom. This was just kind of a, you know, whatever you want, I'll give you kind of response. And so it, it didn't mean that he wouldn't just immediately turn around and have her killed. It was not a guarantee. It was just that she had won favor for the moment in his eyes. And Esther said... If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to the feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king says to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And then he says again, What is your request? Even up to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Again, this is, you know, he's being favorable toward her, but this is not any kind of promise that he would not then kill her. <laughs> then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and to fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. All right, then we go back to what's going on with Haman. Then Haman and Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he, was, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. He went home and he sent and brought all his friends and his wife Jerish, I'm not sure how you say her name. And Haman accounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, and all the promotions which had been, which the king had honored him, and how he advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come to the feast, king's feast that she had prepared, and tomorrow also I've been invited by her together with the king. Yet all of this is worth nothing to me as long as Mordecai the Jew is sitting in the king's gate. Then his wife Jerish and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. That's where our scripture for this week this week's lesson ended. Um, what I'd like to do is um, just kind of go back through here and look at the three of the characters that are involved in this story and just kind of look at the differences between them and how they respond to things. And so as we do that, I want you to kind of think about it as we're talking about it and see which one, where would you put yourself in these um, characters and um what things do you value? What do you think on? What makes you act on things? What motivates you? Um, how do you act or react in life situations? The first one that I want us to look at is Mordecai. And um, the one of the I'm just going to list some of the things I noticed about each of these people. And the first thing I noticed is that he has faith that the Jews will be saved. And so if you look back at verse 14 of chapter 4, he says, um, he's talking to Esther, and he says, For if you keep silent at this time, 
relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews. So he has faith in God because God, the Jews are God's chosen people. God has chosen, you know, has said that they will always be his chosen people. And so he has faith that they will not be destroyed. So we see that he has faith in God, that God will deliver the Jews. He also knows that it's been prophesied, you know, that they'll be in captivity for, for a certain amount of time and then they'll be brought out. So he has faith in what God has said that he would do. He believes that God will do it. Um, now, he does say, you know, that it, he, he and Esther may not be saved, but the Jews as a nation will be saved. And so he does have faith that God is going to be, that, that they will be spared. He has faith. The second thing is that he has faith that the sovereign God will act on behalf of the Jews, whether through Esther or through someone else. God's plan will not be thwarted. In other words, he, Mordecai has faith that God has a plan. You know, they, they had uh, prophets that would prophesy things all the time, and then those things would come to be. And so he knows that God, this, things are not just random. He has, and if you look at ver, back at the same verse, verse 14, he says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. So he says, you know, his plan is not going to be thwarted. Um, God is working behind the scenes. And, it, and then we go on. The third thing I would like to mention is he has faith in the providence of God, um, that God has been moving all along and that he has put Esther in place um, as queen to be have this influence that um, she might spare the Jews. So he sees this, that this is not a coincidence. This is not just happenstance. It's not just uh, something that, you know, she looked prettier than the other ones, so she got chosen. Mordecai sees this, that Esther has won favor. She's been made queen. She's been put in this place because God put her there. And you see that at the end of that verse, uh, verse 14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And we hear that, you know, we've heard that verse a lot. Maybe you've been put there for such a time as this. Well, Mordecai believes that. He's saying that God in his providence has put you where you are for this purpose. And um, so he has faith in the providence of God. One thing I noticed that I thought was, I don't know how much to make of this, but that um, Mordecai has humility, to do what Esther asked him to do. Um, you know, this whole time, Mordecai's been the one in charge, and he's kind of been saying, you know, to Esther, do this or don't do this or don't tell him you're a Jew or, you know, go here or do this. And, but if you look at the end of, the, of chapter 4, uh, verse 17, uh, well, first, you know, is, it's verse 16, she tells him to organize all the Jews and get them to fast for three days. And then in verse 17, Mordecai then went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him to do. I thought that was uh, neat how it uses the word ordered. You know, how many of you order your husbands to do things? <laughs> and how does that go? <laughs> it, it doesn't usually, you know, cause them to jump up out of their chair. And <laughs> but so I thought it was kind of cool how it says, 
Mordecai went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him to do. So to me, it does show some semblance of humility on his part because he he just does what she tells him to do. He doesn't argue with her. There's no, Esther, that's crazy or, you know, this kind of thing. He does what she tells him to do. And so he has some um, aspect of humility. But the fifth point is he's not, doesn't have complete humility (laughs) because, um, as we've already talked about, there does seem to be some um, pridefulness in him because he refuses to bow down to Haman. Um, You know, we don't know what to think about that, but I don't think we, we can just pass it over. I mean, it wouldn't have been unlawful, according to the Jewish law, for him to bow down to someone in authority over him. And so his unwillingness to bow to Haman is strictly, as Heidi has told us, that, that Haman is an enemy of the Jews. And he refuses. I am not. You know, you can, you can just see, you, you know, you, you've had dealings with men enough to know. <laughs> you can just see him say, I am not bowing down to Haman. You know, and so to me, I, I can't read now, you know, maybe I'm reading into it, but I can't read that without thinking that there's there's a little bit of pride behind that. Whether it's uh, sinful or not, I, I can't say, but he, he refused to bow down to an enemy, and it, and then that enemy turns around and is going to destroy all the Jewish nation because of it. Um, and yet we don't ever hear anything else about Haman having any kind of remorse or feelings about, man, I shouldn't have done that. But, you know, because still even look over in verse in chapter five at um, verse nine. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate that he neither rose nor trembled before him, it made him mad. So. Mordecai apparently has taken off his sackcloth and ashes and he's sitting in the king's gate and he still refuses to bow down <laughs> to Haman. So, you know, I, I don't know what to make of that. But anyway, there it is. Um, the next person I want us to look at is Haman. Um, the first thing I notice about him is that he is driven by his own pride and self-worth Um, The things that he values or finds worth in are his position, riches, notoriety, power. Um, All of those things are what drive him. Um, He lives to be honored, to be served, to be worshipped, to be in a position of um, authority and power. And look at verses um, 11 and 12 of chapter 5. He gets all of his friends together, um, his wife and his friends. He brings them in for a meal, and then look at what it says. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, how he had been advanced, how he had advanced him above all the officials and servants of the king, um, Then Haman went on to say, you know, that I'm the only one Queen Esther invited to the banquet. And not only that, I'm the only one she's invited to come back tomorrow. You know, and so all of these things are very important to Haman. That's where his worth comes from. That's where his, um, 
pride, his, um, it's where he finds worth. Um, the next thing I notice is that he has no compassion, um, but he is very ruthless. He, he's willing to sacrifice a whole nation of people because his pride was wounded. So he walks by this one man that will not bow to him. It's a Jew, a Jewish man. It makes him furious. He's willing to kill a whole nation of people because he, Mordecai hurt his feelings. <laughs> I, I feel like that's where our society is today. I mean, if you, you know, Twitter and Facebook, I, I'm like, really? <laughs> the pe things people get upset about, uh, it's depressing. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, he he has no compassion. He's willing to sacrifice this whole. Uh, and then not only that, he look at verse 14. It's not even enough that he sacrificed this whole nation. It's going to be killed, you know, in a f few days. But then he, if you look at the end of the chapter, he they his friends suggest to him that he has, he have these gallows built and that he puts, you know, for Mordecai to be, executed or hanged on and he thinks oh that's a good idea I'm fixing to we're fixing to put him up and fifth the the height of that gallows was apparently much higher than a normal gallows so the, uh, we're not sure what to make of that or the commentaries they say they don't really know why it was so high or maybe it was on a hill that made it higher I don't know but they um, so I don't know why but maybe it was just because he wanted everybody to see this man wouldn't bow to me and now look look what's happened to him so he doesn't have any um, remorse or compassion or, or he's just ruthless. The third thing I think we should note is that he's swayed easily from highs to lows depending on the circumstances. Um, if you look at Haman, he goes, he's, he'll be really high and then something will happen, he'll be really low. And then he'll be really high, and then he'll be really low. And we can see that here in that he comes from the banquet that he's been at with Esther. He's on this high because he was the only one invited, and he, you know, he's been invited to come back tomorrow. And it even says, if you look at verse 9 of chapter 5, And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath. And so he's immediately thrown into this, you know, he goes from this high being so excited because, why? Because that's what he values, is being in a position of authority to be respected and thought highly of. And now somebody, you know, one person out of everybody won't bow to him and it just throws him completely off. Um, and so... His, it's because of what he values. So um, the next thing is that um, he, he will not stop at anything to get whatever makes him happy. Um, and he is offended by anyone that dismisses him. Doesn't that sound like our society today? People are so, I mean, they're like waiting to be offended by something. You know, and um, and I think we're even guilty of that sometimes, you know, that we're, I, you know, I don't know how this fits into the, if this really fits, but the, the thing I thought about immediately was when I was thinking about Haman, how he was happy and then he was uh, just dashed, is my own self. Because I, I can get up from having a quiet time, 
be singing the praises of the Lord, listening to a sermon on the radio in the car, and somebody cut me off. And I'm like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. You know, so, you know, it shouldn't be that way. I shouldn't allow those things, you know, I should be more steady in uh, remember those things. Clint's much nicer than me, to be honest. I'm like, don't let them get in front of us. (laughs) Okay. The last person we're going to look at is Esther. The first thing I notice about her is that she's leadable, teachable, she's respectful of authority, and she's brave. All this time, as we've been watching Esther, Mordecai tells her what to do, and she does what he says for her to do. She listens to the people that are around her that are trying to help her become the queen. She does what they tell her to do. She's not arrogant. She doesn't, you know, demand to have her own way. She's very leadable. She's very teachable. Even in this situation, she's respectful of Mordecai, and she's very brave to do these, you know, to go before this king knowing that it could be her life took a lot of bravery on her part. And if you look at verse 16, um, where am I? Over here, um, chapter 4, verse 16. She tells them to fast, and then at the end she says, then I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and she knows that it might be her life, and if I perish... I perish. So she's willing to do it. It, it, That took a lot of bravery on her part. The second thing I notice about her is that she chooses to put her life on the line for the sake of God's chosen people and his plan. Um, And that comes from what we just read. Um, She is willing to lay down her life for the sake of God's chosen people. Um, I, I love that about Esther, I love that she says, I'm going to do what's the right thing to do for God. I'm going to glorify God with my life. I'm going to stand in the gap for these, for the Jews. I'm going to do what I can to save the Jews. And if I perish, I perish. I, I love that about her. Um, the third thing is that she devotes herself to prayer, and she asks her fellow Jews to pray with her, um, which shows me that she believes in God's ability to answer prayer. Uh, If she didn't believe that it would make a difference, why would she ask them to pray? And why would she pray? She thinks, she believes that God will intercede, that he will intervene in this situation and that he will allow her to have favor. It shows me her belief in prayer. And and then she asks others to pray for her. I think sometimes we are too slow to ask our friends to pray for us in situations because we're, we don't want to be embarrassed. And what does that say about us? It says we're prideful. I mean, if there are things going on in our life, we need to be asking our fellow Christians, our fellow sisters in Christ to pray for us um, and sharing requests with each other. And what I was reading about this, you know, trying to prepare this weekend. One of the things I thought was really cool is it was talking about, you know, one of the good things about asking people to pray or asking like a, a group to pray for you about certain circumstances that when God answers that prayer, all of you can rejoice. It's not just, you know, you rejoicing in yourself, which we certainly do, but isn't it fun when you can share with your friends after they've prayed about something with you, you can go to them and say, 
this this is how God has answered this prayer. And then we everybody can rejoice in that answered prayer. And um, so I love that about Esther. Another thing I love about her is that she acts with wisdom and self-control. She seems to keep the big picture in mind. Um, she doesn't react as I might. She doesn't become hysterical. <laughs> and she doesn't easily get knocked off balance. You know, some of us, um, things come into our life and we're immediately, ah, you know, go hysterical. I, I'm not really prone to do that. I'm, I'm more prone to go, and get in my little corner and not want to come out and have to be coached out of my corner. Um, but both of those, you know, uh, she doesn't do either one of those. I mean, she goes, uh, why do I say she acts with wisdom and self-control? Because look at what she does. Look at verses, um, let's see, verses 1 through 8 in chapter 5. She goes before the king. She does it in the way she's supposed to do. She dresses appropriately. She stands there before him. When he says, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. She doesn't go, blah, 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 blah. No, she doesn't blubber, or she stands there and invites him in wisdom. She invites him to a banquet. Then when he says again to her, what can I do for you? She, again, for whatever reason, now we don't know why, but for whatever reason, she invites him to another banquet. Well, when we get further on, we'll see why, because it's the Lord's timing to set things up with the gallows and with Mordecai and all that. But right now, we don't know that. But she's patient in that. She's very self-controlled, um, and she's patient, and she's um, it, it builds um, suspense. Can't you imagine the king going home saying, now what's up with Esther? wonder what she got on her mind. You know, and so she's kind of building in him this um, um, favor toward her because he can see that she's upset. And so, but she's very self-controlled and, and acts with wisdom. And um, I love that about her. Compare that to Haman who goes, you know, highs and lows, and he's acting like, you know, but anyway, um, and then the last thing I notice about her is that she walks in the spirit, not in the flesh. She's driven more by what's best for God's people and not what's immediately comfortable for her. Um, she's not driven to be personally indulged. Um, I was writing this, by the way, I was writing, rewriting everything this morning as I was preparing because that kind of helps me think about stuff and I was writing this point down as Heidi texted me this morning and said you know I'm praying for you and hope everything goes well and thank you for doing that you know and you know I, I have to really you know it, it I don't particularly like standing up in front of everybody so but here this is the point I was writing down she walks in the spirit not in the flesh <laughs> She is driven by what's best for God's people, not by what is most comfortable for her. <laughs> and I thought, okay. <laughs> so, um, but she does. You know, you look at Esther. It, it, I mean, she's the queen. She could, I mean, she is going is to be found out eventually that she's a Jew. You know, I mean, if she doesn't act here, but... She could possibly try to get away with it, you know, and be the queen and not do all of these things. 
And yet Mordecai says to her, this is what God has put you here for. And she says, well, okay. And so she's got a a kingdom mindset. She's thinking of the big picture and not only of just herself. And I think a lot of times we get um, more me-centered than we do God-centered. And it's something that I'm really um, trying to grow in myself more and more is to see things um, more from a God point of view than from a Connie point of view in that he has a plan and my purpose is to glorify him and to do work within his plan that's how I'll have happiness is to glorify God not to immediately satisfy Connie and so those are just some things that I noticed um, about these different people and so we can kind of look at what do we get from that you know we can kind of see Mordecai and Esther are God's chosen people. And, um, of course, you know, you have to think about this in the Old Testament. The New Covenant has not come yet. But we would compare them to Christians now in their belief system. Jesus has not come and paid the price, but they are Christians. So we would compare ourselves or see ourselves in them as they act and um and then Haman would be someone who is an enemy of God and of God's people. And uh, you can kind of see that in the differences. Can you can you kind of see that in the differences in what they value and the way that they react? Um, Mordecai and Esther have God that God's plan and his view and his promises, and they act in ways that are pleasing for their people whole nation as the people of God and what is pleasing to God. Haman acts in a way that is pleasing to Haman and is glorifying to Haman and what's going to bring him glory and um, how dare you. And um, so looking back on these three, what what are some of the things that we can take away from this? Um, As God's chosen people, we should have full confidence in the fact that he does have a plan He has a plan for all of mankind, and it will not be thwarted. Um, A lot of times we can look back on situations and see how God directed certain events or certain uh, the timing of things. Sometimes we can't. We don't know what God has kept us from or why he has put us through things that he puts us through. But, um, But he does have a plan. And we should have confidence in that plan. That should give us confidence to know that things are not just random. Things happen um, in a way that God has ordained them to happen. Um, in Psalm 139, it says, All the days ordained were written before one came to be. And so uh, we know that God has a plan. It's not just random. Um, the second thing is that as God's chosen people, um, we seek to be used by him and to bring glory to his name, not, not just for our own glory, but for his glory. And when we act for God's glory, then it's for our own. It, it brings about our own good. The things that we think are good for us are not, they're temporary, and they will not bring happiness. The third thing is as God's chosen people, we look at each circumstances in life as God do, directed by God and look we have to look for God's hand in the midst of those things and to see um, 
you know, the, the Bible says all things work together for good to those that love God. So it doesn't, as you've heard, it doesn't mean everything is good. It means that everything's going to work together for God's glory. And so we need to actively be looking for how is this going to bring God glory and how can I be a part of bringing God glory? Not, um, like I said, in a corner. Uh, why, why, why me? Why me? That, that's not glorifying to God. Um, as God's chosen people, um, we crucify our own flesh. Our daily, our desires, um, our daily desires, we seek to grow in godliness. Um, we, seek, we seek to walk by the Spirit and not by our flesh. Um, to open our eyes every morning. What do you, what, what do you think, the, when your eyes open in the morning, what are your first thoughts? Our first thoughts when we open our eyes in the morning should be somewhere along the lines, how can I glorify God today with my life? That puts everything in perspective. <laughs> Changing diapers, whatever it is you're doing, if you're, your mindset is how can I glorify God in what I'm doing, it's not just about you, and it just it changes your whole attitude. Um, we need to bring our thoughts captive, not be ruled by our flesh. Um, seek to glorify God daily. Um, I thought about Galatians 2.20. Um, I have been crucified with Christ. Um, and actually, Galatians 5 was in our lesson for this week. So first I'm going to look at... Uh, Let's look at Galatians 2.20. It's a verse that should be familiar to us. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so um, the life we live now is not our own life to our own glory and to our own Desires, but we live for Christ. And then in Galatians 5, verse 20. Well, I, think, I think that's what was in our lesson this week, and I think it's a good way to, to think about things. Um, wait, I'm sorry, Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Then he gives some examples. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So this is just a partial list, but these kinds of things are things of the flesh. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, these are things that we should be striving for. The fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit lives in us. These are the things we should see. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And that, that implies a daily. These things we have done when we came uh, to Jesus, we crucified our own desires, our own flesh, and we walk in the Spirit. But it's also something that we have to look at what he says. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. So it's also something that we have to do on a daily basis. I have to continually keep crucifying my sin and crucifying my desires and crucifying my flesh. Um, let us not become seated, provoking, conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So I think the takeaway from this is to look at the differences between Haman and Mordecai and Esther. And what is your, what pushes you? Are you pushed and led every day by me, 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 me? Or are you pushed and driven every day by how can I glorify God? And um, I think that's what we see in Esther and in this, this story. And... So I hope that um, that brings a little bit of light. On, uh, at, least, at least we looked at the scripture and read the scripture this morning and see that there's goodness there. I, I love to read the Bible. I, I love to dig into it. And Now, the problem is when you get older, you dig into it and you love it and you get up and walk away and you can't remember anything you just read. But, but you young people should be getting into it now. <laughs> It does stay in there. It's just like, yeah, something about, mm, yeah. So anyway, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. and then we'll... Lord, thank you so very much that you are the sovereign God. That you, in your providence, have ordained every day of our life. That you walk with us and that you have a plan. And that we can rest in the grace of Jesus Christ and know that you are working. And Lord, when we look around and see such upheaval in our society, sometimes it can be overwhelming. And um, remind us, Lord, this is temporary. And what we have with you is eternal. And um, help us to remember that on a daily basis, to not get caught up in the um, highs and lows, but to walk steady, self-controlled, and constantly putting ourselves um, in the spirit, uh, drawing ourselves back to Jesus Christ and to walk in a way that's pleasing and honoring to you, Father. Continue to sh show us um, that you're at work and remind us uh, to live for you and to be pleasing in your eyes, Father. Lord, thank you so much for each of these ladies that came out today that had to overcome many, many obstacles to get here this morning, and um, I pray that you will bless them, that you will encourage them, that you will show them in little ways all through the day that you are um, 
in control and that you love them. And Lord, we pray that you would be with those who cannot be here with us today because they have sickness or uh, things prevented them from being here, that you would um, be with them and also work in their lives, Father. Lord, thank you for um, Heidi. I pray that you would be with she and Bob as they have time together, that you would make that a precious time and that you'll bring, us, bring her back to us next week. We love you, Lord, and thank you for your kindness. Amen.